For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. Governor Stitt signs legislation he originally vetoed. House Bill 2632 prohibits restrictions on a patient's right to choose a pharmacy provider without paying a penalty and calls for an advisory committee to review complaints and administer fines. Despite changes to the original, the state chamber still called for him to veto it. Neva, what was different this time? Well, I think this is one of these fascinating bills. It's been around the legislature the last couple of sessions, didn't go anywhere. And then this session, basically, the difference is that we had a successful mobilization and a grassroots campaign by the local pharmacy folks and they really turned up the heat on these lawmakers and so every good argument that was a good argument being the argument that uh, the folks that were trying to knock this down were making by the state chamber and many groups that typically Republicans particularly uh, uh, would be uh, sensitive to or probably line up with didn't go anywhere so it was interesting that there was there was not a single no vote. And I think that's where even if the governor had entertained the idea of wanting to veto this a second time, there was just no cover. I mean, when you have every single lawmaker yeah. saying, hey, this is okay, uh, even though you have the argument being made, you had a House fiscal impact analysis basically showing that it would uh, cost, the cost to the state would increase prescription drug costs 7.2 million was the number that they gave. And uh, that that the regulation factor to be able to uh, uh, put this into place would be about $350,000 annually, and none of that seemed to make any difference at all. I mean, this was a case where you would hear lawmakers say, look, you know, the folks back home, this is the guy or the, the woman who puts the sign in their their local um, uh, pharmacy uh, mm-hmm. that uh, says uh, support, you know, support me when election time comes up. Now they're saying call your, call your legislator or your senator and tell them not to raise prescription costs and that was kind of the that was kind of the argument that they were trying to uh, uh, put out there that uh, that got traction and clearly lawmakers went you know went full throttle behind right well you know it's a really simple message about a really complex subject matter because right. the, the, the complex subject matter we're talking about here are pharmacy benefit managers you know these are the groups dominated by three big uh, big giants you know optum optum rx express scripts and cvs caremark and they really determine you know how and where people can get their pharmacy benefits and and you know how much it's going to cost they negotiate deals and the local pharmacists were really concerned that they were being left out of these deals that they were being treated unfairly that there's disparate treatment that they wanted to be on equal footing uh with these big uh, uh chain pharmacies uh that are showing up you know, not just in, in even you know mid-sized cities but i mean in, you know even small cities and small rural areas you're seeing chain pharmacies come in and compete head to head with uh with local pharmacists and they often have an advantage, you know, just in terms of, you know, uh, the scaling mm-hmm. of, of the cost of, of running a pharmacy. And so, yeah, you had something that, you know, received zero no votes, unanimous support. And this is, I mean, if, if you think of, you know, interesting things about this, the chamber to be on the opposite, you know, the state chamber, a really powerful lobbying force of the state capital to be on the opposite side of a, a unanimous vote mm-hmm. uh, is is pretty extraordinary. And I think that it speaks to the power of, Whenever you have local small businesses standing up and saying, 
we don't want these big companies to have a big competitive advantage against us. It was also a little ironic to hear the state chamber come out and say, well, you know, the state could subject itself to litigation uh, if we if we pass this, <laughs> because, you know, generally, you know, they're they're the group that's uh, at, they don't worry about that so much. But but here they, they pulled out all the stops, but they still couldn't get a single no vote. I think that, you know, if if anything is going to happen here, uh, it would have to be through litigation. Uh, it also you know, is, you know, will be interesting to see the internal politics of the chamber moving forward because they ostensibly represent, chambers of commerce ostensibly represent all business interest in the state or in the communities. And here it really seems like they sided with out-of-state organizations instead of your local in-state groups. Right, it was state chambers against the local chambers. The yeah. state chamber was, I mean, local chambers were for it and the state chamber was against it. Yeah, and it's interesting talking about the litigation factor. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that, uh, that there is an expectation that there will be a core challenge to this and uh, you know the issues uh, discriminating against interstate commerce the fact that this does impact mail order uh uh, the, the mail order component to uh, getting prescription drugs and, uh, you know, some of the more, as you say, complex issues with the RISA laws and other things uh, that come into play that, that lawmakers and the public don't care anything about but have to have some, some resolution on it probably in the courts. Yeah. State lawmakers introduced a last-minute bill to put restrictions on the attorney general following his $270 million settlement with Purdue Pharma. House Bill 2751 says any settlement made by him or any other future attorney general must be paid into the general fund for lawmakers to allocate, not the attorney general. Ryan, why do lawmakers feel they need to put this in a statute? Well, I mean, th- you, this is this is really this this drama that's played out ever since the attorney general, uh, General Hunter, uh, you know, made the settlement with Purdue Pharma uh, early in the legislative session. They legislature feels like they were kept out of the loop, and maybe they were kept out of the loop. And and I think that there are some interesting questions of whether or not they should have been in those conversations. I mean, who is the attorney general's client? Is the legislature the attorney general's client or the people of Oklahoma the attorney general's client? Frankly, I think it's the people. And if you don't like what the attorney general did here, I'm, I'm not going to say one way or the other whether they should like it or not. But if you don't, there's a way to hold the attorney general accountable. And that's at the election, uh, the upcoming election at the ballot box. You can keep him or you can throw him out if you don't like the way that he did this. If you think he let the Sackler family off easy and that you know he made a strategic decision to get some money instead of proving a point by going to court and you know putting those folks on the witness stand and, and doing more aggressive discovery and possibly getting a bankruptcy. If you don't like that, then you can vote against him. If you like that, you can vote for it. But when we look back at things like the tobacco trust, uh, the master uh, settlement with the uh, tobacco trust litigation from the late 1990s, you know, most states that had that go directly to the general revenue fund um, haven't seen a lot of investment in tobacco cessation programs like we've seen in Oklahoma. It was after that settlement that uh, Attorney General Drew Edmondson made on behalf of the state of Oklahoma that the voters of Oklahoma, I think it was in 2000, came in and created a so constitutional T-set. Here's, here's a constitutional lockbox T-set that mm-hmm. says this is what you can and can't do with that money. And it, it protected it. You know, some of it still goes to general revenue, but it said that the vast majority of it was going to go into T-set for these particular programs uh, for a very long period of time. And so that's, you know, that was an after the fact structured way to deal with that money that was coming in. But Drew Edmondson had the authority to enter into that settlement negotiation. You know, the legislature wasn't there micromanaging it. They may have been in the room. I don't know what those dynamics were. Um, But to put the AG in a situation where, or any AG in in the country in a situation where they have to go and minute by minute get approval by the legislature or the governor to negotiate settlements with people they're suing on behalf of the people of Oklahoma, 
I think would be really just unworkable in the in the long run. Neva. Well, I, it is interesting that while not happy, the legislature and the governor clearly were not going to blow up this deal. I mean, it, it, they wanted to make a point to the attorney general. Uh, they had the they had the mechanism to do that by using this bill to, uh, in essence, have clarification, as uh, Representative O'Donnell called it. And so I think that it was their way to kind of have the final say in this long uh, kind of this long back and forth. Uh, as you say, Ryan, of uh, who had the right to do what, when, and and were they or were they not uh, parties that should have been advised of what was going on prior to prior to the settlement. So I think we'll always have these issues because we're talking about politicians, we're talking yeah. about elected officials, we're talking about uh, the the whole the whole dynamic, and then you in, infuse all of these attorneys and all of the other drama that goes along with it, and it also sets up for some uh, some interesting expectation of what's going to happen with the with the lawsuits that are still uh, before us I mean that we're going to see in the court uh, next week uh, mm-hmm. as they continue to pursue the the uh, suit with Johnson and Johnson and other pharmaceuticals so companies so I think this is interesting I think uh, I think it was kind of the the expected end uh, from the legislative standpoint of their ability to pass something to uh, say to general hunter this is this is kind of where we're making our stand on the on the on the issue well, and it seemed to me that basically they didn't, it didn't seem like they were upset about the fact that he settled or the fact that he got $270 million. They, I think what they were upset about is they, they, he took away their job, which was to allocate funds. Yeah, and I think what, what General Hunter would say there is that that was the way that he was going to get that settlement. And, you know, that absent, absent a very particular way that that funding would come to the state of Oklahoma, that that settlement would not have, would not have come to fruition. And, you know, whether that's the case or not, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what he says. And, 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 you know, so the legislature uh, is stuck with that. And uh, you're, you're right, Neva, they, they very clearly didn't want to blow this deal up because I think, you know, in the, in the back of their minds, they, they realized, you know, this is, this is a bird in the hand. And if we, if we walk away from this, uh, then we could end up with nothing, and then they would pay the political price for that. I do think that moving forward, in the back of the attorney general's mind now, any other settlement negotiations that may, that may happen while this trial is, is currently pending uh, with the other opioid defendants, um, that there will be some, you know, even even though the legislature hasn't officially tied his hands, I would be surprised if we see any settlements at this point that have uh, directed or particularized appropriations of settlement dollars. I think it would be much more likely that we see something more akin to the tobacco settlement that is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a structured settlement over many years that would go to the general fund. And then it would be up to the legislature or the people of Oklahoma to decide if we want to lock that down somehow. And particularly when we might be talking about, uh, in this uh, future instance, of billions of dollars in settlements as opposed to uh, the number that we had in, in the uh, Purdue one. Right. Yeah. Governor Stitt forms a task force to come up with recommendations for lawmakers to reduce the state's incarceration rate. The Criminal Justice Reentry Supervision Treatment and Opportunity Reform Task Force, also known as RESTORE, is supposed to get the suggestions completed by December 6th. Neva, does this secure Stitt's commitment to corrections reform? Well, I think it's this ongoing struggle in the legislature, as we're talking about, of who's who's trying to slow down the train or who's trying to keep <laughs> the process moving uh, on, a, on a fast track. And there are bills that are hung up uh, all the way down to the wire now um, that there's been this 
this give and take on will they will they have the final push? Will they get the votes? Will they will they have uh, some success? There have clearly been some uh, some successes uh, on criminal justice reform this session. I don't think that when you look in the in the broad context of the the forces that are really driving the reform um, issues that they see this being where they wanted it to be at the end of this session. But we've been talking about this. I mean, this is a, this is a progress over 20 years. I mean, we've been talking about this and making incremental, very slow uh, movement. And uh, clearly, there are groups out there that are still dominant and forceful and, and weigh in on these issues and have some real political capital to put down on the table. So uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens in the future. But these reports will be probably the blueprint for the governor to decide next session what he really wants to push, you know, really wants to push hard on in his second legislative session. Right. No, I think this is just a smokescreen. And I think that it's it's out of character with a governor who has shown time and again in his short time in office that if he wants to get something done, he gets it done. You know, there has never before in the history of our state been such a, a coalescing around a particular issue where you've brought Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, you know, people from, from all across the aisle. Uh, you know, some of the smartest people in the state and around the country have invested millions of dollars uh, over the last several years in real substantive reform efforts. And this session represented the greatest potential that we've ever seen. And, you know, Neva said we're, we're down to the wire. As we're taping on, on Thursday morning, I'm getting messages from my team at the Capitol. It looks like potentially we walk out of this legislative session with no real criminal justice reform measures. I mean, Neva's right. We did get some felon rest, felon voting rights restoration legislation, some, some licensing around mm-hmm. felon people with felony convictions. I mean, occupational licensing. Those are important. Those are really important. But in terms of retroactivity uh, of State Question 780, Bail reform, which went down in flames yesterday, even though it polls at around 70 percent in the state of Oklahoma, it passed out of the Senate uh, with Republican leadership and and Democratic support. Um, You know, this and, you know, it was a last minute move by the state sheriffs uh, on Tuesday night to come together at the last minute and say that they were opposed to it and make up a bunch of figures about how much it was going to cost them that have no basis in reality. I mean, and lawmakers just kind of fell for it. And, uh, and we saw it, we saw bail reform go down. There's a potential that it could be brought back up this afternoon, uh, in the legislature. But I just got a message again, we're taping Thursday. Mm-hmm. I just got a message that the house may adjourn at noon today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that happens, retroactivity, uh, uh, reforms to possession with intent, uh, supervision, supervised release reforms, um, you know, a, a lot of things, you know, jury sentencing reforms, um, that would have dramatically changed the way that the criminal justice system works in the state of Oklahoma, not in a way that favors the accused, but in a way that creates a level playing field that serves everyone's interest. Uh, whether you're uh, a crime victim survivor or whether you're an accused uh, accused of a crime, these bills all make us safer. And that we get this far in the legislative session only to watch them die with a bunch of games at the end is extremely disappointing. And I'm, I'm afraid that the announcement of this task force is giving folks political cover to feel like, well, we can we can just wait on this task force and not have to really do anything. And it, if I wish the governor would show up right now and say, put retroactivity and bail on my desk by the end of this week and I'll sign both of them. If he would do that, I think that we'd have the votes. It will be interesting, though. We may say that the the panel, this blue ribbon, this 15-member panel won't have much significance, but 
as they do their work and as they come uh, with their report at the end of the year leading into the next session, it's an election year next year. And these folks, I think if there is, uh, what will be interesting to see is can the stakeholders involved with criminal justice reform do the job of going out to the public where there has been strong, as you say, I mean, polls indicate that the that there's overwhelming support among the public. Can they then impose their uh, wishes and, and make that make that voice a uh, collective voice known to the uh, to the lawmakers as they come back to their districts for uh, seeking re-election the ones that do that could be a significant point can they get it done during the legislative session it remains to be seen and it certainly remains to be seen what's going to happen next session but you're right uh, uh, Ryan the governor is a key player in the mix on this I mean if he uses political capital he clearly has built some has some his favorability is still uh, in high high numbers uh, oh, yeah. among the voters in Oklahoma. So he has the opportunity to make this a centerpiece uh, of his um, of his legislative agenda moving forward. And that's what will be interesting to watch. Governor Stitt is still mulling over his, who will lead three of the five agencies over which he now has power. Stitt hasn't said yet whether he will keep the current heads of mental health, health care authority or corrections. He has said he interviewed the current directors in addition, in addition, in addition to outside candidates. Ryan, what do you think is taking so long? You know, I think that these are incredibly important jobs. I mean, you know, the, the governor said that he views these as CEO type positions. I mean, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, multi-million dollar budgets. Uh, you're looking at, you know, uh, employee numbers and, you know, thousands of plus. Uh, and you're looking at tens and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Oklahomans who li- whose lives uh, are touched by these state agencies uh, every single day. And so, you know, finding leadership that the governor has confidence in is, is important. Um, you know, he shouldn't Russian anything here now on on the other hand we need some certainty over there and i mean if if you're terry white you know the the commissioner of the department of mental health and substance abuse services who has served democratic governors republican governors um you know widely respected uh by folks in in uh the community that she works in uh as as an expert in the field um you know she's just sitting over there right now wondering whether or not she's got a job and you know if if the governor wants new leadership over there uh, at some point, he's he just needs to cut bait uh, and and go, or if he needs to, or he needs to reaffirm that Terry White is is the person to be there. And I think that's the same everywhere else. That, you know, he's he's being deliberate, and that's understandable. But at some point, you've just really got to make a decision here because people need certainty and leadership, and there there needs to be some direction at these agencies. And even where you've had, like again, the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services Commissioner White, who's been you know a a, a very well-respected leader there for years. Um, you know, now there's this uh, cloud of uncertainty over, you know, is she going to be there? And I think that that can have an, yeah, that can begin to have an effect on operation and morale within an agency at some point. Neva. I think we're going to see, uh, as the legislature goes home, I mean, we're going to see the governor now focus on these, these uh, significant positions that he still has to fill. And he's right. When he talks about it from a business person's perspective, he looks at the health care authority, Department of Corrections, uh, the Department of Mental Health that employ collectively those three agencies and areas, more than 10,000 people. These are 
big jobs. And if if he is taking the the look at these positions and the folks that are in them and trying to determine in the in the composition of his total team, both at the cabinet level and in these major agency heads, then I think that uh, taking time, being very deliberative, having multiple uh, interviews, both with the folks that are there now and those that he may uh, 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 choose to take a serious look at in, in replacing these folks, that's part of this process. And I think the, the fact that he was so enmeshed in the legislative uh, session, so involved in what was going on, so active and so out there, uh, that it uh, probably did slow down some of this, uh, some of this work. But I think we'll see in the in the coming weeks, and, and we may see a rollout in the in the next uh, just several days that uh, that those decisions actually have been made, and and it's now time to just make them uh, make them formally known to the public. Now, there have to be Senate confirmation, and the Senate's not going to be in session. So will it be <coughs> just like his cabinet where? They're in there until it comes around time for them to be confirmed. I assume that that would be the case. And you know, I, I think that it's not just a, a matter of finding the right person. I think part of it is the governor's got to, he's got to think about what he wants to do with these particular agencies. I mean, uh, you know, Director Albot, the Department of Corrections, has been a real gadfly uh, and, and in, a, in, a, in, the, in the best way possible <laughs> uh, in talking about the problems within the if Department of Corrections. Corrections reform, yes. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been out there, you know, letting folks know we are in a serious crisis, you know, from a personnel level, from an infrastructure level, from uh, from the services that we provide people that were incarcerated. He has been on the front lines. He's not been afraid for for a long time. What we've seen with state agency heads that's really bothered me is that they take these massive cuts and then they go to the legislature and they feel almost this obligation to paint a rosy picture of like, well, we're making do. And they're really not. And but it, I think it reaffirms, it legitimizes to the legislature the cuts that they've made, and it makes them feel okay with it. Alba has not done that. He has gone to the Capitol. And he's like, you are putting people's lives in jeopardy by not funding the Department of Corrections. So, S- Governor Stitt, does he want somebody like Alba in the Department of Corrections, or does he want somebody there that's going to, you know, just grind through and, and get done with get done with what he has, uh, or make do with what he has? I don't know. I mean, those are so there's there's both personnel and a philosophical decision about these agencies that the governor's contemplating right now. But, you know, he's had some time. I, I expect hopefully sometime in June we've got some answers on these and, things. And he's had some time to really kind of delve into the details of these agencies. I mean, he's he's been physically on site in many of these agencies, talk to employees, talk to uh, to the the mid-management folks. I mean, he he's really, I think, tried to get his own personal handle on what these folks are doing. And when you talk about agencies and making them more um, consumer-friendly or more uh, uh, more willing to uh, engage and, and be proactive in their roles from the public standpoint, I mean, that's a change in philosophy that uh, is going to be uh, pretty significant in some of these agencies, particularly when you're talking about uh, these large, large agencies that, uh, you know, no one's been successful for many, many years and getting a real handle on. So it'll be fascinating to watch over the summer if we see some real progress in these areas. And Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.